1999, I was a senior in high school, sitting in the back of a 15-passenger van in Mexicali, Mexico. And as we drove down a bumpy road, one of us said to the other that it would be cool for us to go on a missions trip to Africa together. And less than a year later, there we were. And we lived there for six months, and I can scarcely relay all of the things that God taught me in that season because it was just so much. I met some of the most amazing, incredible people uh, of my whole entire life. And when I became a youth pastor, I was able to lead high school and college students back to Malawi in 2004, 2006, 2008, 2009, 2013, 2016. And some of the greatest moments of my life came while walking down a dirt road in Chawaya Village, Malawi, Africa. Every church that I've worked at has allowed me to take students to Malawi, and I'm so grateful for that, but Malawi wasn't their heart. And when we started Prodigal Church five years ago, we committed to invest in Malawi. And I am so glad that we did. Here, there, everywhere. Malawi is our everywhere. Our theme verse for this series, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Have you seen these books before? Okay, Heaven is for Real, a little boy's astounding story of his trip to heaven and back. It's a 2010 New York Times best-selling Christian book, over a million sold. Then there's 90 Minutes in Heaven, a man got in a car accident, met Jesus, saw heaven, and he came back and just had this awful recovery. Then there was 23 Minutes in Hell, okay? Equal opportunity um, dying books. Uh, he tells of all kinds of horrible stories. Then there's The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, car accident, two months in a coma, went to heaven, experienced all these wonderful things. There are dozens of books just like these, first-hand accounts of what happens after death, and we buy them by the truckload. What I find interesting is how much our culture loves this stuff. We're so preoccupied and riveted with what happens after life ends. Whatever happens next, it's going to be for a very long time. And so if I'm only getting 70 years here, I want to know what kind of happens for eternity. It's interesting because Jesus died, not 23 minutes dead, but really dead. Okay, three days dead. And you want to know what he said about the afterlife? You want to know what he said? Absolutely nothing. Okay, zip, zilch, nada. Okay, that's, that's Spanish for nothing, okay? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he knows that we want to know. He knows that we're curious. Why didn't he write a book called Heaven is Legit, okay? Give us something. Uh, but that's not what he does. This is what Jesus says about the afterlife. Hey, guys, been dead a few days. Uh, saw what was after this life. Go ahead and make students of me across the world. He also said, share the good news about me and that you could be free in this life. He goes on to say, peace be with you and I'm hungry. He says, you'll receive the Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. That's our theme passage. Forgive others of their sins. He says, it's me that you can really touch me. You can touch my side and my hands. He said, the fishing is better on the right. He says, let's eat. He says, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. He says, no more worrying about the fate of others. Just follow me. He says nothing about life after death. He focuses in on following him and eating, okay? Apparently, he's hungry a lot, okay? He could have had a bestseller. The amazing thing about the resurrection is that it points us to this life.
not the next life. What matters to Jesus was this life. Let's focus in on this gift. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you can't appreciate the gift I have given you in this world, what makes you think that you'll appreciate the gift in the next world? And so it's us bringing peace instead of violence, justice instead of injustice, compassion instead of indifference, love instead of hate. This is the call of the Christ follower. For far too long in my own story as a Christian, the message of Jesus was about leaving this world and getting to heaven. But salvation is not an evacuation project, but a restoration project. A, a proper view of heaven leads us not to escape this world, but to fully engage it. All with the anticipation of a coming day when things are on earth as they are in heaven. Yeah, I have come to the conclusion that Jesus doesn't call our attention to leaving this world, but to loving this world. We limit the kingdom of God when we reduce its meaning to heaven when we die. We neuter the power of Jesus' teaching when it all revolves around leaving this world and going to the next. Reducing the kingdom of God to a singular salvation experience is to miss the beauty, wonder, and adventure that we are to be a part of this side of the grave. And I believe that there are two primary conversions for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus. The conversion from the world to Christ. And then the conversion from Christ back into the world to transform it. Here at Prodigal, we're more interested in counting conversations than conversions. This is a part of what Jesus refers to as the kingdom of God. And this is our second core value, okay? Kingdom. The message of Jesus isn't primarily about leaving earth to go to heaven, but bringing heaven to earth. This is the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus talks about more than anything else by far, okay? He names it 118 times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But there are hundreds of more verses where he's describing it, he's teaching about it, he's living it, and he's showing what the kingdom of God looks like. This word kingdom, it's a medieval word, okay? Uh, and central to the word kingdom is the word king, okay? It's about uh, a king, a person who is at the center of this all, right? A king dome, okay? A domain. A kingdom is focused on the king. It's a realm in which one will in one way hold sway. Hold sway, that is most influential. A kingdom is a realm in which one will in one way, hold sway. And that is the realm of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is king. The kingdom is what it looks like when God is reigning, when he is on the throne, when God is in charge. The kingdom of God is the world as it's supposed to be, the world that God wants it to be, the world we find our hearts yearning for. Yes, it's about heaven up there, but it's also about bringing heaven here, the job for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to help the world be what it's supposed to be. The night that Jesus was arrested, he prays this amazing prayer. It's found in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but thy will. 
okay? Every single day, you get to, to decide. Which prayer are you going to pray? Is it my will or thy will? We pray this prayer every morning, even if we don't use words. But I do encourage us to consciously make the decision every day that when you wake up, that you would pray, God, your will be done, not mine. Because this changes everything. This places God back on the throne and we begin to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And in making the choice of thy will, you are bringing the kingdom of God. Choosing what Jesus wants, doing what Jesus wants, desiring the things that Jesus desires and waking up every morning and making that declaration is so difficult because we're not that great, okay? I'm not that great. I like being noticed. So particularly at home when I do something around the house, I want Sarah to give me credit for the things that I do, okay? I remember replacing some light bulbs in our room, okay? And Sarah uh, walks in the room and I purposely made it very dark in there. And she's like, why is it so dark in here? And I'm like, I don't know, turn the light on. And then boom, she turns the light on. It's like the light shines in the darkness, okay? So much light. And I want her so badly to compliment me for changing the bulbs. Never mind the fact that the bulbs have been out for three months and the point was, I fixed them, okay? Notice how good of a husband I am, how great of a servant I am to my family and to my spouse. Even in my attempts to be unselfish and humble in marriage, I'm really doing it so that she'll notice how great I am. So in reality, am I doing it to bless my wife or am I doing it to bless me? So this is a my will or thy will kind of situation. Is it for me or is it the other centered loving thing to do? You see, unselfishness is the dominant characteristic of love and therefore the dominant characteristic of the kingdom of God. To illustrate the inconvenience of my will versus thy will, just picture yourself at a grocery store, okay? And you're just gonna, we're just gonna walk through the grocery store together, okay? You walk up and you grab a cart. And there are two carts left. One is perfect and pristine, it has a glow to it. The other one has a wheel that loves to dance, okay? Because it just, it shimmies, okay? It, it shimmies constantly as you push it, okay? Uh, you guys have had that cart as well? Uh, and so you grab the nice one, of course. And then a lady walks up next to you looking for a cart and your hands are already on the cart from heaven, but you pause. So you give her the good one and you take the cart from hell. So you and your shimmying cart uh, grab your list of items and you begin to collect them, okay? So you're, you're collecting them and uh, you pull down the medicine aisle and there's a woman who has her cart turned to the side and she's blocking the aisle, okay? and she's reading the ingredients on the back of a cough syrup, totally oblivious to the fact that she is blocking everyone behind her. I mean, what's so interesting, okay? Uh, that you would lose touch with all of reality. Oh, 0.08 tetrahydrosoline. That's a good amount of that, okay? You don't understand the ingredients. Put the thing in your bag and let's go. So instead of giving her the look of, hello, lady, let's go, uh, you say in the nicest way possible, uh, excuse me, why do we, why do we change our, our tone in being that way? Excuse me, if you could just, we all do it. So then you finally get to your last item. 
So you finally scooch past the tetrahydrazoline lady and you got your one item left, okay? Pillsbury Doughboy cinnamon rolls, okay? There's only one can left. And you and an eight-year-old boy grab them at the same time, okay? What do you do? Yeah, you take that can of cinnamon rolls and then you poke them in the belly and go, hee hee, okay? That's what you do. That's the Jesus-like response. No, as a follower of Christ, love is at the expense of self for the benefit of others. And so you cry as the kid runs away with the last can, okay? Now you're in the checkout line. Uh, the lines are long, but in the distance, you see a 15 items or less. You frantically count all of your items to make sure they're under 15, and you've got 19, okay? So as a follower of Christ, what do you do, okay? Obviously, you go to the 15 or less, okay? Jesus is totally good with that one. Finally, you get to the car and you unload the groceries, and then now you have this cart, this empty cart sitting next to you. What do you do with it? Okay, there's a curb right there. You can just kind of pop it and just kind of leave it there halfway on the road, halfway on the planters. Um, or you can push it, hope it lands in the sheet pen where the other carts are. Or you can walk it all the way back to the front of the store. Can you see why this my will versus thy will thing is kind of inconvenient? Okay, there are really good excuses and justifications for my will. Okay, giving money is always inconvenient. Uh, forgiving our enemy is always inconvenient. Surrendering our lives to God is always inconvenient. Our last core value, is, and it's inextricably linked with God's kingdom, is suffering. God's heart is for the lowly, the suffering, the poor, and the disenfranchised in our world. So is ours. The Bible never says God helps those who help themselves, okay? That's not in the Bible. But what is in the Bible is over and over again, God's heart for the lowly, the poor, the suffering, the oppressed, those on the underside in our world. There's a ancient fable. It has been said that many years ago lived a young and gifted woman called Sophia who received a vision from God in which God spoke to her as a dear friend and in conversation asked her to dedicate her life to the task of translating and distributing the word of God throughout her country. Now at this time the printing press had only recently been invented and the only Bibles to be found were written in Latin and they were kept under lock and key within churches. Sophia was from a poor farming village on the outskirts of the city, so the task seemed impossible. She would have to raise a vast sum of money. Sophia was from a poor farming village on the outskirts of the city, and so the task seemed impossible. She would have to raise a vast sum of money to purchase necessary printing equipment, rent a building to house it, and hire scholars with the ability to translate the Latin verses into the country's common tongue. Now, however, the impossibility of the task, it did not sway her in the least. After having received her vision, Sophia sold the very few items that she had, and she left for the village to live on the streets of the city, begging for money, uh, all the money that was required. She dedicated herself to, to any work that was available to help provide the funds, and raising the money proved to be very long and difficult, and while there were a few who gave generously, most gave very little, if anything, because they had nothing to give. 
living on the streets involved great personal suffering. But gradually, over the next 15 years, the money began to accumulate. And shortly before the plans for the printing press could be set in motion, a dreadful flood devastated a nearby town, and many people's homes and livelihoods were destroyed. And when the news reached Sophia, she gathered up what she had raised and spent it on food for the hungry, material to help rebuild lost homes, and basic provisions for the dispossessed. Eventually, the town began to recover from the natural disaster that had destroyed it. So Sophia left and returned to the city again in order to start over, all the while remembering the vision that God had planted deep within her heart. Many more years passed slowly in extracting their heavy toll on the beautiful Sophia. But now there were many people who had been touched by her love and dedication that although people were poor, the money began to accumulate once again. However, after nine more years, disaster struck again, and this time a plague descended upon the city, stealing the lives of thousands and leaving many children without family or support. By now, Sophia was very tired and ill, yet without hesitation, she used the money that had been collected to buy medicines for the sick, homes for the orphaned, and land where the dead could be buried safely. And when the shadow of the plague had lifted, she once again began to live on the streets, dedicating herself to the desire to translate the word of God and distribute it among her people. And finally, shortly before death, Sophia was able to gather enough money required for the printing press, the building, and also the scholars. And although she was by this time close to death herself, Sophia lived long enough to see the first Bibles translated, printed, and distributed. It is said that this Sophia had actually accomplished her task of translating and distributing the Word of God three times in her life rather than simply once. The first two being more beautiful and radiant than the last. I have been reading and studying the Bible for over 25 years. And for way too many of those years, I don't know how I missed over 2,000 verses on God's heart for the poor, the oppressed, those suffering in our world. Have you missed those verses too? Bob Goff said, when you feel like you can't explain your faith, just go out and love somebody. You just did. Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Notice these goats on his left are not condemned for their sins of commission, but rather for their sins of 
omission. They're not rebuked for what they did. They're rebuked for what they did not do. For all of the Christians that proclaim God's judgment on people for doing the wrong things, could God be in a seat of judgment for them, for what those Christians are not doing for their neighbors, for how they are not loving others? I think that Christians sometimes prefer Paul to Jesus. Because when Paul makes a list of who's in and who's out, the list tends to match ours, okay? Liars, fornicators, etc. okay? But when Jesus makes a list of who's in and who's out, it can feel like we're on it. Here at Prodigal, you're not going to hear turn or burn. You're not going to hear me or anybody else on this stage threatening you with the fires of hell. Why? Because of Jesus, okay? Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible, but not in the way that you assume. He doesn't threaten the bad people with hell. He doesn't go to the prostitutes, the drunks, the tax collectors, all the naughty people on the streets and tell them, turn or burn. No, the only people that Jesus threatens with hell is the religious people who are threatening and condemning all those terrible sinners. God's kingdom and God's heart for the suffering in our world go hand in hand. And so those are our core values, okay? Jesus, kingdom, diversity, belonging, real, suffering. Everything we do goes through the filter of love God, love people. And these six core values help us flesh that out here, Prodigal Church, there, those around you and those you don't like and everywhere. And for us, a big part of everywhere is Malawi. Every month, we send financial support to missionaries, pastors, and school teachers in Malawi, Africa. When you give here at Prodigal, you are not just helping us minister effectively here in Fresno. Uh, your support helps countless families on the other side of the world with basic needs like food and water. It helps people heal emotionally, and spiritually. It provides education for children in Chihuahua Village, a village that had no school and kids who had to walk 13 kilometers every day for any kind of education. But because of your generosity, they now have a school, Thonthway Christian School in Chihuahua Village, uh, in the heart of the village, has over 500 children enrolled. Welcome to Tantwe Christian Mission Primary School, which was built by Waiwam Blantaya, and we are working cooperatively with the government of Malawi here in Chihuahua Village. The school was opened in 2018, September, and we have seen amazing results of students being selected to different secondary schools, others to public national government schools. So um, I just want to introduce to you the head teacher of the school to give a brief of what has been happening over the years. We have uh, 23 teachers who are currently teaching at this school. We also have uh, 600 learners. Uh, we managed to score 98%. Uh, 
we maintained the position of one in our zone. We managed to score a position of uh, 10 in the district level. Uh, at our school, there are many activities uh, that are done by learners as well as teachers. Uh, for instance, before we start teaching in our classes, we normally have the morning devotion. We allow learners to, to hear the word of God from the Bible. Uh, we also allow learners to preach and we teach each other about the word of God. Normally what we are, I'm doing every day is focusing on the school as well as meeting with the parents, uh, discipling them and also having relationship with them through their kids. When there is something that the kids have done, we ask the parents to come so we have a chat with them to help them also on how they can raise the children. We really appreciate the support which you are really sending to us as a school. Uh, we really need more prayers. Your prayers are really appreciated. Pray for the teachers that they will grow spiritually and the students as well, so that together we achieve the vision that God has for the community here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here, there, everywhere. 100 people over the age of 95 were asked that if you had to do it all over again, what would you change? They said these three things, risk more, reflect more, and do more things that would live on after we're dead. We hope that our church helps you do those three things, take more risks for God, more risks for love. To reflect more on who you are, who you're called to be, and the world we're called to create. And then to invest in things that will outlast all of us. We want to thank you for joining us these past three weeks and hearing the heartbeat of our church through our sermon series, Here, There, and Everywhere. We hope you've been challenged in a greater way to become a part of bringing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. If what you heard resonates in your heart, here are three ways you can join God's vision for our church and help it become a reality. You can find a place to serve. There are lots of ways to use your gifts here at Prodigal. You can discover more about our volunteer opportunities on the Prodigal Church app by clicking the volunteer tab. Invite somebody to join you. Most people don't come to church because they saw a street sign or they got a flyer in the mail. They came because somebody invited them. Are there people in your life who you think would be blessed by the work that God is doing here at Prodigal Church? If so, invite them to join us online or in person. And finally, one of the best ways you can advance the vision of Prodigal is to give regularly. If you already give to Prodigal, would you consider automating your monthly gifts? This greatly helps us budget for increased ministry now and in the future. We
We are a church all about two things, loving God and loving others. And we believe that our core values really do help us to share and show the love of Jesus here, there, and everywhere.